So, this morning we are going to uh, walk through Romans 8, uh, 1, 8 through 16a. That's right, you heard that right. Seven and a half verses. And it was just like the stars lined up where we weren't going to do music, and I think we're going to be able to get through it all. It's going to be awesome. Um, so, Romans 1 through 4. Remember, this is where we've been. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember uh, last week, uh, Jacob walked us through uh, five through seven. Um, we really focused a lot on uh, grace and peace and some of these things here uh, at the end of, um, of, of this first initial um, welcome. Uh, I think it's also uh, important, we talked a little bit about the word apostleship here. Uh, in diff, it's a, it is the same word in the Greek, apostolos, but it is a different verb tense. So you have to understand in, in the Greek, verb tenses mean a lot of things that our English language uses with, uh, uh, with other words to, to, to slightly tilt what the word's original intentional meaning was. For example, here in the very beginning when he says, I, Paul, an apostle, remember we talked about he was talking about his responsibility given to him as one of the 13 apostles who Jesus directly sent. He was, he was talking about his um, responsibility and leadership and almost his pedigree from the Lord that he was one of the 13 apostles. And an apostle loss in the very beginning of verse 1 is the masculine pronoun, which meant almost like the word apostle for us would have been a capital A, right? It was, it was, a, it was almost a title. Here in 5, the word apostle loss is in the feminine pronoun, which meant uh, more of the actual, all of the, all of the group being sent out by God to go and do. And so this is why when we make the shift in verse five, where you have Paul here going through whom we have received. So he's also not only called himself a big A apostle, now he is saying, now we have received grace and apostleship, the, the, the sending out by God to go out and, 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 and bring his kingdom here on earth. That's a big deal. And that's why the ESV, I believe, rightly uh, translated the word into apostleship instead of just saying the word apostle. So this is kind of where we got through through verse 7 so far. And we're going to jump in here into uh, 8 um, through 16a. So Paul goes on to say, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may recap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So this is the text we're going to be dealing with this morning. And I think, and, and this is kind of, kind of this kind of came to me as I was studying. It was I really had to chuckle because a lot of you know uh, a lot of my kind of early years of church wounds and sitting through some of uh, some some church experiences in in Southern Alabama. Uh, but this is going to be a little more like I'm going to give you some points, just like uh, maybe you you've done hearing people speak in church because I think it's really important. To, to, to slow down in these seven and a half verses because I think that Paul, and this really translate to, translates to us as believers in how we go about our daily life, but also how we should look at our personal ministry and what we do here. And I think that Paul gives us here in these uh, eight verses some real good, true spiritual leadership marks that should stick out to us as we navigate this text. Um, I want to say this, though, and I think this is really important. Like, Romans, we're going to get deep into a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of theology that Paul is going to teach the church. But I think that's important, and it is also a mark of, the, of true spiritual leadership, that before Paul attempts to teach the church in Rome theology, he sets the stage by showing himself in his heart for them. And we're going we're gonna to witness this as we deal with the text, as he weaves all through Romans of, of, of the heart of what we're seeing here in verse 8 through 16. Um, and I think that it was really strategic by, by Paul that he does this, that he, that he set the stage by showing himself. Uh, in these opening words, uh, he, he, he is sharing his spiritual motive of wanting to minister them. He's giving them the reason that he's writing this letter and what his heart is behind writing this letter. Uh, and I think that he backs this up by sharing hard things throughout the whole book of Romans uh, with warmth uh, and affection and also sensitivity through the whole letter. And I think that these first verses really set that up well. So here we go. Um, okay, so we're going to read John 4, 23 through 24 here uh, because I believe that it's um, important to navigate what Paul's thinking about he said, because he's going to talk about this, his spirit a bit. And so I think this really ties in here in John 4. It says, this, this is uh, the Lord speaking, and he says, But the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Where was, and we know that we know this from uh, Jewish history uh, and, and, um, and writings, and also from reading the Gospels, and even narrowing it down into dealing with the Samaritan woman, where was the one proper place to worship God pre-Messiah? It's the one proper place. Think about it. Where did all Jewish people go for festivals to go and pay homage to Yahweh? What's that? The temple, Solomon's temple, right? That was the proper place, and the Jewish culture absolutely drove that, of going, you know, every single, um, every single feast, every single marker in their life drove them into Jerusalem. And rightly so, because it was what God told them to do. Now, Jesus has now just said, and remember, he tells the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman was thinking, hey, the proper place for me to worship God is on this mountain right here by my town, um, because she was a Samaritan. And they had uh, a really uh, strewed version of what their Bible looked like. They only believed in the, in, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they missed the Jerusalem piece. Well, Jesus here is saying, hey, that was true, but up until, but up, but up until now, now, remember, he's wanting them to worship the Father in spirit. Now you don't have to go to the temple to interact with God. I'm here. The Father, not me, but the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The spirit that, that God can come out of the church and in truth, what I'm about to go ahead and tell you about what the, what the theology of the Messiah is, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this is where Paul gets starting to talk about this. Um, I believe that Paul's about to give us nine marks of true spiritual leadership here in the next few verses. So we're going to start with Romans 1.8. We're going to look at this first verse. It is first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Okay? So here we go right off the bat. I think the first one is a thankful spirit. Like I think that the first mark of spiritual leadership is thankfulness is, is, is what Paul is, um, is displaying to it. So first off, he has a spirit of thankfulness. But not only that, Paul's thankfulness was intimate. Right? And we know that because of the word that Paul uses here in the first section, which is my. The word in the Greek is ego. Sound, that's kind of interesting for us as we know if we navigate that word ego. Um, and, and, and that's also how it's pronounced in the Greek. Um, and so he is now taking on a personal pro, pronoun talking about the, the God of the universe, which why this is inter interesting is not only would this have been um, an ear perker for, um, for uh, Jewish people, but also for pagan worshipers, no, very, very, very rarely will you ever find pagan uh, deity worship 
Um, but definitely, most Jews would not have referred to deity with a personal pronoun. Because it, 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 it implies that you have this deep personal interest, personal relationship with God. And that was just not done by, by most people um, in the ancient world. So right off the bat, Paul's saying this isn't theological abstraction. This is real love with a beloved Savior and friend. He has an actual relationship with the God of the universe, and he's thankful for it. So, he has an intimate relationship with the Father through Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I have access to the throne because I have, call, I, I have an avenue there from Jesus Christ. So Paul's declaring that he can only have intimacy with the throne through Jesus Christ. And because he has that right of accessing the throne of grace through Jesus, he's thankful for his co-heirs. Remember, you now have been um, accepted into the original covenant. God has bent the original covenant, just obliterated the original covenant, to include you, uh, Jew and Gentile, into... um, the kingdom, and because of all these things, he is thankful for his co-heirs. And he is telling us that. He is also specifically thankful for their famous faith. Because, so I thank my God through Christ Jesus, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's specifically thankful because of what they're doing and the, the, that it has become famous. He, um, we have tons of extra-biblical writings that are, which which pretty much means um, historical evidence that the church in Rome was a fierce was a force to be reckoned with. They were getting they were always getting in trouble. They were challenging um, the busted up system in Rome. And so, right here, Paul not only is saying I'm thankful for your faith, but I'm also acknowledging that it has been oh like we have a, an intense aware of your faith in the things that you're doing for the gospel um, and it's in, in and we've seen it all the way out throughout the entire world so he's thankful for that so here we go a thankful spirit for others is a must for spiritual service we need to be thankful for the people that the lord's placed in our life um, to do ministry alongside so here we go nine and ten for god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. So here we go. The next one is a concerned spirit. I think that in spiritual leadership, we have to have a real concern for the people that we're doing ministry alongside. Not only are we thankful, but like we should care deeply about what's going on with them. So with whom I serve in my spirit is a big piece here. He's looking, he's now said... God, remember we said that God is spirit. When we looked at John, we talked about now that he serves uh, uh, in spirit, he worships God in spirit. He's now also reiterating whom I serve with my spirit. So he's serving in his spirit. And the word serve here is latro, which usually translates, which always translates to religious service, but sometimes it translates to worship. There's some... um, uh, people who translate this word um, um, to worship. So not only maybe do I 
place into religious service with my spirit, but I also worship uh, with my spirit, which ties us back to John and, and what Jesus was trying to tell us. And then here we go. Um, For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son. So what we're doing, I promise you, I'm telling you, because of God, we're, I'm able to serve, worship, religious service with my spirit, in the good news, the telling of what his son has done, in the telling of the goodness. He's almost like he's saying, I promise y'all, as Yahweh can tell you, I don't stop praying for you. So he's, he's actually making a pretty bold claim, is saying, what I'm saying is so true that the God of the universe is going to back me up that I don't stop mentioning you in my prayers. Um, I was really convicted about this as I was studying this. I go, uh, of, my, of, of not only the people in my life, but definitely we're talking about, if we're looking at the word serve here in uh, my religious service, in my, in, my, um, in my ministry, I go, can I say, as God is my witness, that I, without ceasing, mention my co-heirs and co-laborers in the Spirit always in my prayers. This was a really convicting thing for me as I went, I pray for you, but how, like, can I make this kind of a statement? And so Paul right here is just saying how much he is committed and concerned in his leadership to the people that he's served along beside. He's praying for growth, needs, work, pain they're going through, the guts it takes for you to be famous in all the world for what you're doing for the gospel. All of it for you. So in fifth, we also know that in, in verse 15, 30, further down into the book, that he will eventually ask the church for the exact same thing. He's eventually going to look at the church and go, now I need, now I need you to do this for me too. Like I need you to be able to say for his God is my witness. I don't stop, I don't stop asking the Lord to bless you, to give you what you need to do your work. So a concerned spirit. So Romans 10b, here we go, keep going. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So the third one is a willing and submissive spirit. So for, for spiritual leadership, I think you have to have a willing and submissive spirit to what God's way is and not your own in how, in how your ministry actually plays out. We can have the best laid plans in the world but we have to have this willing and submissive spirit for God to change that at any point. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's going to asking that by somehow God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He has been begging to come, but is totally submissive to God's will and timing. He's saying that, that, that I have been asking not only for your growth, but I want to be with you. And now, by somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he's acknowledging, I'm not going to be able to come to you until it's God's will. But you've got to know that I've been asking the Lord for this. And he's just not told me yet. But I may think, it look, he feels like he's, he's going to be granted this. And still, he wants them to know how much he wants to be with them. He's, he's groaning towards them in wanting to be in community and, and in service together. So Romans 11, that was willing and submissive. For I long to see you, that I, might, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
So he's wanting to come because I think the fourth one is that uh, uh, in spiritual leadership, you have to have a loving spirit, like longing to see it. He's talking about these people that he might have met one or two of these people, but he doesn't know them. But he's telling them, like, I deeply long to be with you. I love you, and I want to be here. And not, not only do I long to see you, I want to give something of worth to you. I want, to, I want to give something of worth to you that will strengthen you so that you can keep on doing what you're doing. Here Paul shows his desire to come and serve them lovingly and provide them something from God that will be beneficial to the church. Here we see in Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 9, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So that being affection, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, very, our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul is, is, is displaying here Romans and to the church in Thessalonica. Like the, the key here is that we need to be affectionate, affectionately desirous of one another. To go, I so badly, I know the work is important, but I just want to be with you. I just want to live life with you. I think this is going to be, this is an, a, a precursor. And what we're doing here at Timberwolf with community is a precursor to what our life with the Lord's going to be like in the millennial and then into heaven. I think that we are going to want to be together so badly and what sin is removed from us all of the shame, guilt, um, se- uh, separations in community, all those things are going to go away. And we're going to be able to live in perfect community together and have a perfect view of being affectionately desirous of each other. However, I believe that that's something that we should be begging the Lord for. Like Paul's doing in his leadership, we should be begging the Lord to break our hearts for one another. for, for, for the things that matter to each other should matter to all of us. And so that's what Paul's displaying here, just like in Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Like this is what we should want with each other and this is what Paul's trying to communicate to the church. Romans 1.12, moving along. Here we go. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is a big one. Uh, I think the fifth marker here is a humble spirit. And here you go. Paul's already classified himself into being a leader in the church. He used the masculine pronoun of the word apostle. He's claiming that Jesus personally himself set him into leadership and set him into motion for the kingdom. But here he is also going, I love you. I want, I love you so much. I want to give something to you that's of worth and that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Not only is this relationship going to be for you, and I want to give you something 
of spiritual worth, I need that from you. Like what, like what a mark of, a, of an incredible spiritual leader. Paul wanted these folks to know that this wasn't a one-way street, that he needed prayer and love and encouragement from men as well. John Calvin wrote about this particular verse. He wrote, Note how modest he expresses what he feels by not refusing to seek strengthening from inexperienced beginners. He means what he says, too, for there is none so void of gifts in the church who cannot, in some measure, contribute to our spiritual progress. Ill will and pride, however, prevent are deriving such benefit from one another. Of going, I, I have so many more miles following Jesus. What in the world can this summer staff teach me in my, about my spiritual walk? Like, What in the world can this person can show me something that is beneficial to my life? And I think Paul here is saying in this, in this verse in 12 of saying, no, even you who are inexperienced, on fire for the gospel, but kind of causing a ruckus and kind of being crazy and it's exciting and you're being proclaimed about it throughout the world. But I need something from you too. And I think this is a huge lesson for us in our spiritual leadership of going, we shouldn't think more, we should not be ashamed of where God has put you in your spiritual maturity, but also not think of yourself so much that God can't impart some kind of spiritual progress for you from people who are not as far along as you. It's this perfect view of the body of Christ, of out of love. Like, for me to say that when E.B. is reading, the, when, we're, when E.B. and I are sitting and reading the Bible, and she has, and I go, okay, this is all one way. This is me downloading this information to you. And when she looks up at me and has this really um, profound for her idea of what she just read, and for me to not, for me to have not been open for Evie to teach me anything about the Bible is what we're trying, what I believe Calvin's saying here is that ill will and pride prevent our deriving such benefit from one another. And so I would encourage you uh, this year as you navigate even being just with this team and your perception of where you are spiritually, um, and even as people start coming in, work crew kids, like allow work crew kids to speak benefit, to speak spiritual progress into your life. I think that's what Paul's teaching here. Um, Paul was one of the greatest theologians to ever live, but also one of the most humble. William Carey, has anybody ever heard of William Carey? He was a missionary a long time ago from England. William Carey was this missionary and he felt called to go to India. It was like a long, long, long time ago. And he had been begging the Lord to send him to, 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 to India, and he's getting on the boat, and it's recorded that his friends went, don't do this. Are you sure you want to do this? You're, gonna, you're probably going to die. Like, don't. Are you sure you want to do this? I know we've been praying for you to do this. And William Carey looks at them and goes, I will go to hell itself if you'll just hold the rope. Like he needed those people to help him hold the rope to do God's work. And I think that's what Paul's asking in here for us is, is a humble spirit.
Moving on to 13, so that was a, a humble spirit. Who at 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So, Mickey, we've studied this this summer. Um, was in the ESV, was these parentheses in the original text? No, they were not. Okay, we also know that in some places, in some translations, that sometimes there are translations that put scribal uh, corruption in parentheses. Like at the end of Mark, there's some places that put scribal corruption to where they believe that they were not the original text and scribes added them later. Do you think this in the ESV is scribal corruption? No. I agree. It's not. Because it, this is in the original text. <laughs> well done. Why, Mickey, do we put, does the ESP decide to put things in a parentheses? Um, it's to like, they think it'll help you understand it better. It's to tell like thought within a thought. That's right. Thought within a thought. Basically, what the ESP is doing is they added these parentheses for us to try to get our arms wrapped around what, what, what the writer is saying about this and that he has busted into a thought within a thought. If you don't believe that, read John at all because the, the ESV marks that jump all through John. So this right here is just the ESV telling us that this was Paul, one of Paul's thoughts within a thought. So I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I intended to come to you, but thus far has been present, prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest. So it's given us a thought within a thought here. So I think the, the, the next one is that, that we have to have, for spiritual leadership, we have to have a fruitful spirit. And here we go. He's like, he's going, hey, y'all, trust me, I would have already been there if I hadn't have been stopped to reap the harvest with you. In order, I want to be there, I've been prevented, but I want to come and reap some of the harvest among you as well. Um, John 15, 16. Somebody look that up. Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So, read that last part one more time. Uh, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Right. So, he, so the harvest here... Jesus is saying that it, it should be fruitful. Like what I'm doing is in or is is sending you out so that you may um, experience fruit. Paul wanted to get in the game in Rome and the fruit of not only new believers that they were having people come and join their church, but also in harvesting maturity in the church. He wanted both of those things equally, and which I think is a mark of a fruitful leader. Um, moving on to 14. Uh, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So uh, the seventh one, I think, is to be a, to be a, spirit, a spirit-filled leader, you have to be a, 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 a willing to be obedient. Here he says, I am under obligation. So I have been... This responsive, not only this responsibility has been placed on me to do what I'm being called to do, but I'm 
a little bit further, more into uh, in verse 1 where he says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I was called to be an apostle, but I am still a bondservant. I am not my own anymore. I am under obligation to do what my master asks me to do. And right now what he's asking me to do is go tell the good news. And he's given me, Paul, some very specific people to go and do that with. Paul was the apostle to the Gentile. So he's saying right here, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. 1 Corinthians 9.15 is where Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news. Woe to me because I am not my own. I am a leader, but I am not my own. I do not belong to myself anymore. And so for a necessity is laid upon me. So here this leader is expressing his obedience to the Lord for the gospel. And woe to me if I don't preach it. So I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians. So Greeks, he is, he is delineating here um, that he is not only called, and the Romans are not only called, to reach the upper echelon of Rome. Okay, The Greeks were, would have been um, higher educated, very sophisticated. Um, back then, Greek philosophy was thought to be little less than divine. And these Greeks were coming to faith in Christ, but they were the wealthy upper echelon people. And what, what, what Paul's saying here is, I am coming to you not only for, I am under obligation, not only for these people, but also for these people. The barbarians uh, were, in their opinion, not Hellenized. They were the people that were not educated, that were uh, outside of Rome, outside of Greek culture, uh, more simple people, not taught in Greek learning, not taught in Greek learning. Um, interesting enough, the word barbarian, I'm not sure if you knew this, the word is uh, onomatopoeic. Um, to the culture Greek, other languages sounded like gibberish. And so they would make fun of them when they would be coming into Rome and they would actually say bar, 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 bar because they were making fun of their language. So to the Greek in Rome, the barbarian um, would not have been near as important. And so therefore, the gospel message where they were having trouble with uh, over um, giving of the good news to the Greeks. And so, um, in his obedience spirit, I believe that Paul is, is, is giving clarification that he's coming to both. That, that the gospel um, is the great equalizer. So, I believe uh, for spiritual leadership we have to have an obedient spirit. Fifteen, here we go. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Because of those things, I'm eager. And so I think the eighth mark here is that we have to have an eager spirit for leadership. Not only was Paul under obligation from verse 14, I think he was fired up about it. That's why I think he kept asking the Lord for it. Not only was he, did he love the church and love these people, but he was also eager 
and fired up about getting in the game. And I think the Lord uh, is looking for true spiritual leaders who are fired up about getting in the game. Who um, That's why you have your jobs. Someone throughout your youth to get you into this seat. Someone looked at you in your spiritual leadership and went, that person's fired up about doing this. And so we're going to trust them with their ministry. And so I think that Paul here is, is displaying that he's had an eager spirit to come and serve. And then 16a, finally, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, and the ninth mark is, uh, is a bold spirit, I think, that um, Paul knew that Rome was steeped in immorality and paganism and, and absolutely emperor worship. He knew um, what was coming that, that they were, that, the, that, the, that not only Rome itself wasn't going to like the gospel, that they were really not going to be like, like what he, they were really not going to like what he had to say. And, and even to some degree, the church itself, once he's going to move into theology, we're about to make a transition here in a sec, but we won't do it today. But like, we're about to make a transition in Rome Romans of moving more into into theology. And the more you get into making a turn into this and really studying what God's way is, how quickly we find that it is upside down from what we think the right way is and what's good and what's right and what's bad and what's wrong, how quickly we realize once faced with Jesus' theology of how uncomfortable and sometimes um, unnatural that, that God's way and God's theology is. And so he's telling them, I love you so much, and I, I want to be with you so much, and we are under obligation so much to go and do this for everyone, for the Greek, for the barbarian, I want to impart onto you some spiritual gift. I want you to part onto me. We're going to do this together. We're fired up. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed that God's way is not my own way. And so I know I have to have a bold spirit because what I'm about to tell you isn't going to separate. Not only that, he knew that the church itself Thousands of years later, the church then and the church now sometimes wasn't going to like what he had to say. And to be honest, um, we in this room, as we navigate Romans, are going to hear things that make the fillings in our teeth burn, you know, as we learn that we are broken in our ways and our thoughts aren't always what God's ways and God's thoughts are. Okay, so here we go. There it is. There's the nine. Um, yeah, however his task was to communicate Jesus' upside-down world, and he was ready. So 8 through 16. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
And I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Nine marks. Thankful, concerned, willing and submissive, loving, humble, fruitful, obedient, eager, and a bold spirit.